This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, earlier in the show, we were speaking to our Washington correspondent, Reggie Cicchini, about the latest foibles with uh, Donald Trump and uh, his latest court case. We often refer to this era as a post-truth environment, fake news, or as Stephen Colbert once called it, an era of truthiness. Well, our next guest is well known amongst those who believe in the truth, or at least challenging myths. Adam Savage was a co-host for 14 seasons on the television show uh, Mythbusters. The Discovery Channel Pop Science Engineering Fest was devoted to testing whether various widely held beliefs about the physical world are bogus. Over the course of nearly 3,000 myths, Savage and his co-host can be credited with reviving a particular role that uh, that of the public advocate for science and engineering. Mr. Savage now hosts the program Tested, which can be found on Tested.com or on the Tested YouTube channel. The program explores the intersection of science, popular culture, and emerging technology. Mr. Savage is appearing this weekend at Fan Expo in Vancouver. The three-day event attracts thousands of fans who are interested in sci-fi, horror, anime, and gaming events as well. Uh, Adam, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, we were talking during uh, the uh, commercial break. This isn't your first time to Vancouver. No, no, no. I, I love this city. Um, being from San Francisco, another inordinately lovely city that is also inordinately expensive. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel a real kinship here. Oh, well, thank you for having <laughs> us. I've been excited to tra- chat with you. Um, first of all, let's just talk a little about, about Mythbusters. And I know you get a lot of questions about this, but um, why do you think a show like that was so popular and has had a, such a, a great run, 14 years. Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing to say is that most of what we call reality television is the farthest thing from it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I'll actually say that a lot of reality shows have table reads before they go. Like, mm-hmm. And I also understand commerce, right? A lot of these producers are tasked with producing these shows. They're setting up simple narratives and knocking them down. I know how that works. But Mythbusters was... Mythbusters were pilots that we shot in 20, 2002. They aired in early 2003, and Discovery immediately awarded a full season, like within days. Oh, and wow. they told us that could take months. But the ratings were so high, I think we did like a 1.5 share, which mm-hmm. in, in the U.S. was huge. Yeah. Um, that we were hosting a show that was airing and was already a hit before anyone gave us any advice about how to host a show, what kind of show we were making. And so we kind of invented it as we were going. So what do you think the secret sauce is? Is it just because you didn't know what you're doing, but it came from a certain truth? It, it came from an honest place. So the narratives that we told on that show were always truly honest narratives. If Jamie and I had a, and I, this also goes for Carrie, Tori, and Grant as well, but if we had a disagreement about a way to execute a story, the disagreement would often be built right into the narrative, not as a like as some contretemps or something like that, but more as like, oh, okay, well then we'll just drive the narrative in both of these directions and see which one mm-hmm. is the right one. Mm-hmm. And so it was each episode was an episode about 
people with resources and curiosity following that curiosity to a natural conclusion. Mm -hmm. That was the ethos that we all infused the show with. And again, like I said, it was a hit before we were even really in the sluice of making it. So that sort of was baked in right from the get-go. Why do you think we, I'm not not sure it's saying fall for myths, but why do we believe myths so easily? Well, among the things that are innate in us, I think, as a species, are exploration, uh, uh, communal commun- communality, uh, and we love we as explorers. We want to we're exploring because we want to figure out the shape of the world. Why are why are we sentient here? That's the greatest miracle there is. And what can we learn about this world? And when when we seek to answer those questions, we. We're discovering ourselves, really. That's that's what it's really about. You mm-hmm. know, it is a journey of self-discovery. Um, and a great oh, sorry. This is the other thing that we that is innate in humans is we're storytellers. Yeah, because stories are fabulous ways to line up facts in a way that makes sense. When you look at a poster of our universe, you're not looking at our universe. You're looking at the best story we have yet built yeah. about what it might entail, and. And the the pleasure and danger of stories is that they can be addictive. And a great story can, as as Mark Twain said, a great uh, a great lie can be like honest. I forget the quote. A lie can be off running while the truth is still putting yes. its pants on. Yes, something like that. Um, the other issue. Uh, now you've moved from television to YouTube. Yeah, online. Has that been? Freeing is that better for you, or is it a challenge? Because TV still gives you a big budget; it gives you uh, production staff, all yeah. of that. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to turn this question and just talk to you for a second, because I, I expect in your career you have spoken into a lot of different microphones under yeah. a lot of different circumstances, and these are all different modalities of storytelling. So I had always thought of the channel as this kind of other thing that I was doing while I was working on television shows. It was like a support material for the television Mm -hmm. shows. And then when COVID hit and I was alone in my shop and I didn't want to learn how to operate the camera to the degree I needed to. So I started filming on my phone and I filmed for six months on my personal phone before we bought me a phone (laughs) and started (laughs) using that for uploading. Um, And, it was completely freeing because I'm I I am not restricted by format in any way. Uh, I'm restricted only by the feedback I get from the audience, both in the number of views and the comments in our comments section, which again is a weirdly sweet place. The tested YouTube comments section is an incredibly loving community that has that I've learned so much from. Where do your ideas come from in that shop of yours? Oh, they're it's, it's constantly happening. You know, I'm watching I was watching The Crown and the first two seasons of The Crown are without a doubt the best two seasons. Mm-hmm. It's the best story. A young woman coming into her own while she's having to be queen. Claire Foy is so amazing. And I'm watching this great story unfold and I'm also thinking about the horror that is represented in colonialism by the crown and by governments and et cetera. And I became obsessed with the crown jewels. And I'm now on my third round of replicating the entire set of crown jewels because (laughs) I'm learning about jewelry making. I'm learning about history. I'm learning about lapidary skills, all sorts of other ancillary skills come into this. And I get these amazing objects to play with. Yeah. Do you have like staff helping you with the research as well? Um, no, no, not really. Um, uh, yeah, not really. No, it's really it's mostly me following my nose for the thing that I'm curious about. That's interesting. Now, obviously, you need a lot of interest and passion for science. Um, 
and and I'm very curious on your views on where science and technology is taking us today, particularly when I look at artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've looked at the impact social media, especially uh, we've had uh, Facebook whistleblowers on here talking about the impact social media is having on our children. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to get getting into artificial intelligence. How do we keep our humanity well, it's, in this yeah. mad rush to some sort of utopia that the technology is going to provide us. Well, the thing that I want to say is that utopia that the technology is supposed to provide is never going to show up as long as we're still, frankly, forgive me, but holding to the same old rules of late-stage capitalism. Mm -hmm. Things can't grow forever. Uh, And I was just hearing about an AI nighttime radio host, and that really pissed me off. (laughs) Um, So I think that the with AI, it's incredibly difficult to separate the facts from the hyperbole because it is such a bizarre and amazing thing that's happening. So on that front, from a scientist standpoint, I'm fascinated by it. But I also see the hyperbole and I see a, a billion middle managers around the world realizing that they could cut their bottom line maybe by using this thing. And if it's only wrong 5% of the time, what's the harm? Mm-hmm. And then I think, yeah, my late, my all my rants will always end with a rant against late stage capitalism because things can't grow forever. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 the it's <laughs> it's the rules of thermodynamics. Do you think, uh, I mean, with your YouTube channel, I mean, you 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 you've cut out television producers, more importantly, television executives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're speaking directly to your audience. You, you must travel the world now. Do you have fans from other parts of the world talking to you and just watching? Because you know, being in San Francisco is one thing, being in Canada is one thing, but. I mean, you must now have people in different corners of the world. A hundred percent. A huge amount of our audience is international. And when I traveled, there is no place I have gone in the world where I have not been recognized. South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, you know, Germany, the wilds of Northern Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's I, I, I don't love being dependent on a single income stream. Mm-hmm. You know, YouTube's algorithm matters so much to us and it's changing all the time and we change with it. And it is, a, it's a ride as it were. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we look for other ways in which to help the channel grow, work with different corporate, you know, different corporate partners for stuff mm-hmm. because commerce still is commerce and we have to keep the lights on. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit. We, we just uh, on the other side of this building, you'll see a big ball. It's called Science World. Uh, and the president CEO of Science World has been on this program from a colleague of mine. And, we, and they talk a lot about, you know, STEM and really attracting women to technology and sciences. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we continue to struggle in attracting women, young girls, into sciences? Because young men are terrible. <laughs> well, let's just be totally honest. The problem with young women getting interested in science is young men, right? I see. I see. Yeah. yeah. All the, yeah. <laughs> Let me say to you, young men, like, are you talking too much? Just look and see if everyone's eyes have glazed over. That means you've talked too much. Shut up. Yeah. Let someone else speak. Is that part of it? We're just overconfident and we men sort of look at things from A to B. It's a straight line. Sometimes we take our overconfidence as knowledge. <laughs> yes. And the patriarchy is totally real and it works and we all benefit from it. It's fabulous to be a man. It's yeah. Freaking fantastic. And that's a terrible state of the world is that, you know, 
other other genders, other folks don't find a home in that place. You know, I, I, I've just been reading, Katie Coleman is an astronaut, an American astronaut. And she's a good friend of mine. She's just written a book, which is coming out soon. I'm reading it right now, and it is really, really beautiful. And one of the things that's so lovely is she's really clear that it never occurred to her to be an astronaut until Sally Ride came to her college and spoke. And Katie said, I saw that, and I realized I could do that. It was the first time. And it wasn't hearing about Sally Ride. It was seeing this young, confident woman standing there who was going to go to space Mm -hmm. that showed Katie what was possible. And Katie is somebody whose personality is such that she can't not speak truth to power when it occurs to her. And that has guided her her whole career. And it is what makes her such a remarkable public outreach uh, person for science and for allowing different voices and different, uh, different views to be heard. Are you still an optimist? I am totally an optimist. You sound like it. It's complete. No, it's uh, uh, someone once said, a civil rights uh, organizer once said, optimism is completely unwarranted and totally necessary. It is. Especially in, 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 you know, people always say, may you live in interesting times. We do. It's moving so fast. That that is such a, I'm so clear on why that's a curse now. May you live in interesting times. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Adam, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, you're an absolute joy. We could go for an hour on this, but I want to let all you folks out there listening know that Adam will be at the Fan Expo in Vancouver uh, Saturday and Sunday. And Signing I know, autographs, taking pictures, doing and panels. talking science, whatever you yes. want to talk about. And talking about the Iron Man suit. Absolutely. Yes, my personal Iron Man suit. It's one of my favorite objects. And you, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you mentioned this during the commercial break. Your studio is just blocked away from your home? Yeah. Yeah. My house and Tested's offices are about two blocks apart in the middle of San Francisco. It's a lovely, lovely reality. So, Lily, do you just sort of have breakfast and walk over? And I do. My wife and I, I go out and get coffee in the morning. Then yeah. I come back. My wife and I share that coffee for about 40 minutes, hanging out. And then I go off to work. My, actually, and also both of my adult uh, sons, who are turning 25 next week, work in a restaurant that's another block and a half away. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. They don't live with you. us, but they work near us. <laughs> there you go. Adam, thank you so much. Absolutely, Jess. It was a lot of fun.